As we come to our passage today, we're in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. We're coming to this next great work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit adopts us into God's family. So grab your scriptures, turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. The scripture says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, now we come before you, having just read your scriptures, with a simple prayer of asking you, through your Holy Spirit, to illumine the truth of your scriptures within our hearts and minds, to change our thoughts, to teach us, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we saw another great work of the Holy Spirit in verses there 12 through 14 that we just read to put to death sin in our lives. We are debtors, right? But not to the flesh. We have no obligation to live according to the flesh. We have no duty. We have no compulsion to do that sin that so easily wells up inside of us. Our obligation instead is to the Spirit to live according to his desires, to live according to his inspired word. We are not debtors to sin, but we are so deep in debt to Christ. Remember that great poem I read from John Newton? 10,000 talents once I owed and nothing had to pay. But Jesus freed me from the load and washed my debt away. Yet since the Lord forgave my sin and blotted out my score, much more indebted I have been than ere I was before. My guilt is canceled quite, I know, and satisfaction made, but the vast debt of love I owe can never be repaid. Oh, the sweet debt of love we owe. It's a debt we cannot pay. But oh, it's a debt how we love to try to pay. What a privilege to be a debtor to the Spirit. One of the ways the Holy Spirit leads us as, as Christians is to put to death the deeds of the body. We have no obligation to the flesh, but we are instead supposed to put it to death. The great leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to make us holy, to mature our faith, to, to change and grow our character, to conform us to Christ, and to kill and to put to death sin in us. One of the very marks of what it means to be a Christian is for the Spirit to be killing sin in you. 
Is that what the Spirit is doing in you? Remember that great quote? Either you said about killing sin in your heart, or sin in your heart will set about killing you. Oh, how sin would lose its appeal and weaken and would die if we would but remember the vast indebtedness that we owe to the grace and love of God in our lives. What's the great motivation for holiness? What's the great motivation for conforming our lives to Christ? What's the great motivation for putting sin to death that so easily rises up within us? The immeasurable love of Christ. That's our motivation. Last week we challenged ourselves to try to grasp the vast depth of our indebtedness to Christ and then to joyfully live a life of gratitude in response. Well, how did it go this past week? Did you take some real steps to grow in your love for Christ? To live a life of indebted gratitude to Jesus? Did you take what the Lord stirred in your heart and your life and put legs and feet on it and do something about it? Oh, the great work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, putting to death sin in us to make us more like our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And because you see... That's how it works in a family. That's how family works in adoption. See, adoption is a moment in time, but integrating into the family takes time. It takes a while for an adopted child to get used to their new family. Sure, once the adoption is done, the the child is now a permanent part of their new family. But yet the old family relics like to hang on. The struggle is real. The transition is often hard to to fully live into their adoption. The challenge is difficult to fully grasp the state of their new, true relationship with their new family. David Prince wrote, I know a family who adopted an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. When they brought her home, one of the things they told her was that she was expected to clean her room every day. When she heard about that responsibility, she fixated on it and saw it as a way to earn her family's love. In other words, she isolated the responsibility and applied it to her existing framework of thinking that was shaped from her life in the orphanage. Thus, Every morning when her parents came into her room, it was immaculate. And she would sit on the edge of her bed and would say, My room is clean. Can I stay? Do you still love me? Her words broke her new parents' hearts. Eventually, the girl learned to hear her parents' words as their unconditional beloved child who would never be forsaken, not as a visitor trying to earn a place within the family. She was starting to learn what it meant to be in a family. She was starting to learn what it meant to be in the family. I don't think there's one thing we count on more 
than God's unconditional love for us as God our Father. And I don't think there's one thing we doubt more than God's unconditional love for us as our Father. Why? Because we want God to love us, but we think, just like that girl in that story that I just read, we think that somehow we have to earn it. We often live like God's love for us is conditional, that it's based upon our behavior. How terrible would it have been for that child if those parents had raised her with conditional love, forcing her to feel that her only acceptance in the family was if she earned it, only if she could keep earning her status was she accepted in the family. That is not love. That is not parenting. That's cruel. That is religion. That is seeing God as your divine ruler and not as your divine father. What if we really grasped that as true followers of Christ, being part of the family of God was the very lens with which we looked at our whole lives? What if the, the fact of our adoption with God into his family irrevocably placed us into the loving arms of God, our Father's unconditional love? What if? Because it did. What if we really grasped the spiritual reality of our adoption into God's family? God is our Father, Jesus our elder brother. Just look at the family words for me in our passage, starting at verse 12 and looking to verse 23. Verse 12, it says brothers. Verse 14, sons of God. Verse 15, adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, we are children of God. Verse 17, if children, then heirs. Fellow heirs with Christ. Verse 19, sons of God. Verse 21, children of God. Verse 23, adoption as sons. Do you think Paul's trying to make a point? He's emphasizing an important truth. All true Christians are part of the family of God. All true Christians are part of the family of God. As John 1, 12 through 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John also so powerfully put it this way in his first letter in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. Beloved, what's the main point of the sermon today? All true followers of God are children of God, sons and daughters of God. God is really, truly, in actuality, our Father. And it is from that lens, wearing those spiritual glasses in which we are to see the whole 
of our Christian lives. So let's look at the specifics of our passage today. Verse 15 flows right out of verse 14. Verse 14 tells us that we're all led by the Spirit, our sons of God. Being a Spirit-led follower of Christ is to be a Spirit-indwelled follower of Christ, is to be a son of God. They all flow connected together. Verse 15 now describes for us something of that character of the Spirit, the character of the Spirit that's within us, the Spirit that is leading us. First, it tells us what kind of spirit we did not receive, right? We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back and to fear. And then it tells us the spirit we did receive, but rather we did receive the spirit of adoption as sons. Our relationship to God is not based on slavery and fear, but is based on adoption and family and sonship. Paul is making a crucial point about the true two ways in which we can approach God. We can approach God as a slave. We can approach God as a son. A slave is always afraid. A slave is never measuring up, fearing unjust punishment, fearing rejection, fearing judgment. The spirit of slavery is fear-based, a performance-based relationship. That's not true of a son. A child always knows they are loved. Their acceptance is not based on measuring up. There is no fear of rejection. The spirit of adoption is a love-based, is a family-based relationship. The spirit does not make us slaves, but sons. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and since a son, then an heir through God. What a huge, gargantuan difference. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Well, here's a chart that puts the difference between the spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoptions as son so well. So you see up there a son and a slave. A slave obeys under under compulsion because they have to. A son obeys out of love for and honor to their father. A slave serves under threat of pain and loss and punishment. A son serves willingly. Discipline is loving instruction. A slave is insecure. If I slip up, I might be beaten and rejected. A son is secure. If I slip up, my father will forgive me and accept me. A slave concentrates on external behavior and on rules that's all on the outside. A son concentrates on relationship and attitude. It all starts on the inside. A slave has to do with work, but given no honor. A son is given honor and gets to join the work. Two ways to approach God. Two ways you could live out your Christian walks. One is slavery. One is family. 
One is fear. One is love. One is insecure. One is secure. One is brought to you by the Holy Spirit, the Son and Spirit of adoption. What is your approach to God? From what lens do you see your Christian life? Is it from the lens of love, of a family, of adoption? Are you wearing those spiritual glasses to which you see your whole of your Christian life as a child of God through the spirit of adoption? Are you actually living your life right now like you're a son of God, like you're a daughter of God, like God is actually your father? Now, adoption is such a beautiful word. It's a special word. It's part of who we are as a church with great stories of adoption within our church. God has created forever families through adoption in our church. It's a wonderful thing. And adoption was important in the Greco-Roman world. As Paul readers in Rome would have been very familiar with slavery, they would have also been very familiar with adoption. In first century Rome, adoption was a customary legal procedure. An adopted son, whether a child or a youth or even an adult, was deliberately chosen by his adopted father to perpetuate his name and to inherit his estate. He was always, in always, equal to a newborn, natural-born son. All his past debts were paid. All new debts were, were now liable to his new father. His new name brought instantly to him as an heir of all of his new father. And it brought to him an obligation to honor his new father. This understanding of adoption lies in the background of what Paul is using here. He uses this, this illustration, this truth of adoption for believers. If you want to understand what it means to be a Christian... If you want to understand why being a Christian is such an amazing privilege, you need to understand adoption. R.C. Sproul wrote, When the Holy Spirit came into my life and, and entered into me, I received the spirit of adoption. It's not something I possessed already. It is something that was added to my life. A gift that God gives when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within me. God adopts me. By nature, I am not a son of God. The only way I can enter into God's family is to be adopted. The only son of God by nature is Christ. All the other children of God are not natural children, but adopted children. Adoption is the full act of the Father. What we are not, he graciously gives to us through his son. It's not our choice of him. It's his choice of us that makes all the difference. All the rights and privileges of sonship that we did not have are now ours. Because God, our father, has chosen us to be his children. Ephesians 1, 3-6 teaches us so powerfully. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 
as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, perhaps you've been noticing that these passages keep saying to be adopted as sons. This is important because in that culture, it was only through the son that the family inheritance was given. Son is is specifically used Because culturally in that day, daughters were not heirs to the family estate. That was true for very long swaths of history, all the way up through Victorian England, right? Part of the subplot of many of Jane Austen's books was the reality that daughters could not inherit from their family. But please note what Paul is doing here. This is very important. He is radically proclaiming that this adoption as sons, this adoption with all the full rights and privileges of sonship, was for every true follower of Christ, equally true for sons and for daughters. All Christians are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Paul took this culturally masculine institution and applied it equally To all believers, without distinction, the metaphor of the full sonship is for all followers of Christ. We are all full, adopted children of God with fundamental equality and always in Christ. Folks, this teaching was radically liberating for its day. Paul says in Galatians 3, 26 and 28, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches the fundamental equality of all people in Christ. We're all sons of God. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. The metaphor of the sonship of all followers of Christ brings all of us into the family of God as equally adopted sons and daughters of God. God, our Father. So ladies, officially, you're all called sons of God, as the metaphor teaches us. But the fact is that you, you are daughters of God. You've been chosen by God to be his daughter, to be in his family as his daughter with all the full rights and privileges of your father. You have been given full inheritance of your father. So don't get all worried that the Bible uses a sonship metaphor, right? Because lest we forget, every man in here, who is a believer, is called a bride. So all the men are brides. We're part of the bride of Christ. So if I can be a bride, with all the wonderful pictures and analogies of that, 
You can be a son with all the wonderful pictures and analogies of that. Our God is an equal opportunity metaphor user. Each biblical metaphor tells us something important about our relationship with Christ. Oh, beloved, the great joy that we have been given to be adopted by God into his family. What does the spirit of adoption do within us? What does this truth make us cry out? What does verse 16 says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit? What's it doing within us? What, what's the cry of our heart? Abba, Father. Abba, Father. It's not some, some inner, you know, contemplative thought and voice within us. Abba, Father, is the cry of our heart. As the spirit of adoption is doing his work in us, the spirit is bearing witness within us that we're true children of God. We cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, it's a special word. has nothing to do with the 1970s rock band. Instead, it's, it's in our Bibles, it's, the translating of this word tells us the meaning of the word. See, because the word Abba is just simply the transliterating of the word that's there. So if you looked up in the original language, guess how Abba is spelled? A-B-B-A. They just took the word and how it is spelled and took it directly into our English without translating it, but transliterating it. They could have translated it. They could have translated this father or dad. It's what it means. But by transliterating it, it, it leaves it in its original word, and it helps us to understand the nuance of this word. This was the common word a child would use to talk to their father. It's an intimate word of love and of family and of relationship. Abba is often equated to daddy. Or Papa. It is only used three times in the Bible. Here in our passage and in Galatians 4, again talking about God's adoption of us, with the Spirit crying out within us, through us, Abba, Father. And it's also used once by Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, in his heart rending prayers to God in the Garden of Gethsemane that night before his crucifixion. See, the word Abba means much more than just the common use of a child's word to their father. It's not a childish expression. It's an intimate expression. It's expressing the close, intimate, relational connection to the father. Not a childhood word. That's why the word wasn't translated. Because in the Bible... It doesn't just mean daddy or papa. What it means is what, what those types of intimate fatherly words are connoting. What they signify, what they imply, what they represent. Abba is a word of relational connection. Abba is a word of familial intimacy. Abba is a word that cries out of our hearts. 
The Bible doesn't use the word as a colloquial word of familiarity, but as an intimate word of true connection between God the Father and his sons and daughters. Romans says, we cry out, Abba, Father. It's our cry. Cry here is a word for a loud cry, for expressing deep emotions. It's not that we say, Abba, Father, but that we cry out, Abba, Father, in a loud cry with deep emotion as the Spirit is doing His work within us, as the Spirit is testifying to our spirit that we are children of God, we can't help but cry out, Abba, Father. Haven't we all done that? Haven't you done that in those moments of despair, in those moments of loss, in those moments of grief? Deep down in your heart where where the prayer isn't even coming. But what's crying out from us is Abba, Father. We're connected. It's intimate. We're together. Our spirit crying out, Abba, Father, is the very evidence of our salvation. Only a true child of God cries out, calling God Abba, Father. As adopted children, he's not simply God. He's not only omniscient and all-powerful and sovereign with his will being done and um, you know, omniscient, knowing all things. No, as adopted children of God, he's our Father. He's our Abba. We have this deep family connection that's intimate and that's real and that's substantive. And that's forever. Now, how do we most normally start off our prayers addressing God? We normally start off our prayers addressing God as Father. Why? Because that's the very basis of our relationship with him. He is our Father. We are his children. Jesus taught us to start off our prayers with our Father. Because that's the very basis of our relationship with our God, is this intimate father-child relationship. God being our father is the lens by which we live our whole Christian lives. Adoption is that important. Another great benefit of adoption is recorded for us in verse 17. And since children then heirs... Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Part of being a child of God isn't just the present status with God as our Father, but in reality that we are heirs of God. This word heir is used three times here. As children of a Father in Christ Jesus, we are inheritors of all that is His. Again, this adoptive element of our relationship with God is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 later says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our familial connection to God as our Father through the work of the Holy Spirit guarantees us a permanent inheritance The point here, it's not an inheritance that we are given, 
but it's an inheritance that we share. Our inheritance is not about our status because it's about being connected, having our fellow heir with Jesus Christ. Christ, our elder brother, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of God. He is our inheritance. Hebrews 11, excuse me, Hebrews 1, 2 says that God has appointed Christ as the heir of all things. It is because we are fellow heirs with Christ. It is because we are connected to Christ. It is because we are co-heirs with him that we're destined to receive all that he receives. Our inheritance is not in things, but in Christ. It's not about mansions and gold. It's about Christ about being a child of God, is about being co-heirs with all that our elder brother Jesus has done. Everything Jesus accomplished becomes our inheritance. Let me say that again. Everything Jesus accomplished becomes our inheritance. Justification, reconciliation, forgiveness, pardon, new life, adoption, eternal life, defeat of sin, defeat of Satan, family of God, resurrection, assurance of salvation, heaven, glorification, all ours, and so much more because of Christ, because we are co-heirs with all that Christ has accomplished, all that is his becomes ours. We are in Christ. This is both an amazing reality for us now, an amazing eternal reality for us someday. Now we have the benefits from our elder brother. And for eternity, we will be co-heirs of God with him, the kingdom of the beloved son along with all the great benefits of our adoption. Let me just highlight five of them here for us. Because of our adoption as sons, we are able to talk to God and to relate to him as a good and loving father. I think we often take this for granted. God is our father. Beloved, our heavenly father loves us so deeply. We get to talk to, relate to, the very omnipotent, omniscient God of the universe as our Father. Remember that verse there that John wrote? See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Well, secondly, because of our adoption as sons, we are led by the Spirit. Because of the saving work of Christ, we enjoy new life in the Spirit. He's in us. He guides us. He grows us. It's what we've been talking about here in Romans. Imagine adoption as sons being led by the Spirit, for all who are led by the Spirit are 
sons of God. Well, thirdly, because of our adoption as sons, God disciplines us as children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a real father. It's a real relationship. It's a real connection. I mean, this is real. There's discipline involved from our father. The trials and tests we face in this life give us opportunities to live out our sonship. God disciplines his children, teaching them, conforming them to the image of his son. Hebrews 12, 5-7 teaches us this. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? One of the the benefits, one of the amazing benefits of being an adopted son is that God loves us so much that he disciplines us as his child. Another great benefit is because of our adoption as son is we relate to other believers as members of, of a family. We're all together as family. The church is family. Because, of, because we're all God's children. We relate to other followers of Christ as family members, as brothers and, and sisters. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Brothers and sisters. Because of our adoption as sons, the fifth one is that we imitate and honor our Father in heaven. Have you ever watched children imitating their father? Imitating their mother? How beautiful it is, how fun it is, right? That's us. God is our Father. We're to imitate our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As our kids like to to put their little feet in our big shoes and walk around imitating us as fathers. So we, metaphorically, need to put on God's shoes and be imitators of God walking in his way. One wrote, our adoption means we are loved like Christ is loved. We are loved like Christ is loved. We are honored like he is honored. Every one of us, no matter what, your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances will only help you understand and even claim the beauty of that promise. The more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you become like him in actuality. Paul is not promising you better life circumstances. He is promising you a better life by far. 
He's promising you a life of greatness. He's promising you a life of joy. He's promising you a life of humility. He's promising you a life of nobility. He's promising you a life that goes on forever. He is saying to us, you're a forever child of God, adopted by the choice and will of the Father with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities and inheritance as a true child of God. Do you live your life like you are really a child of God? Is the fact of your adoption the lens by which you live out your Christian life, our Father? What would change in your life today? Within your own families, here at church, with, with your own relationship with God, what would change if you took seriously the implications of your adoption as a child of God, a daughter of God, your father, a son of God, your father? Let's pray together. Father, this truth is so powerful, so wonderful, so beyond plumbing its depths, so amazing that you, the omnipotent, omniscient God of the universe, creator of all things, would be for the foundations of the world. Let's say, Father, I choose you to be my adopted son. I choose you to be my adopted daughter, to be part of my forever family. Lord, the truth of this is beyond the realms of our comprehension, but it is within the realm of our heart. It is within the realm of our relationship with you, this intimate connection that we have in which the spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. Lord, help us today understand it, not just the facts, not just the truth, but the implications, and then to, and then to change, and then to, to, to grow in our understanding of you, our Father, of Christ, our elder brother, and the joys, the rights, the privileges, and the responsibilities of being a child of God. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.